Acts chapter 10, verses 17 through the end of the chapter. Hear now, for this is the very word of God. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea... Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, Preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear 
Not to all the people, but to us who has been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing him speaking in tongues, hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Faith comes from hearing in hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of your word. We thank you for the testimony of what you have done for your church. We thank you that we are able to hear your word and have the opportunity to hear all that you have commanded. Through this narrative and through the instruction and the inspiration of your word, And we now pray that you too would act in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to believe, to trust you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The narrative that I read for you today overlaps the narrative that I read for you last Sunday and I think it was fine to do a repetition of it because this, even the narrative, is repetitive of a testimony of how it came about that Peter ended up in the home of Cornelius. In the Lord's good wisdom, he opted to give us that story multiple times through that testimony to understand the significance of what is going on here, paralleling the amazing story of the vision that Peter had of the food the animals being placed before him, animals that were once considered unclean, now being commanded to Peter not to consider as common and unclean. To eat, to participate, to enjoy, and to celebrate this new measure of God's love and grace upon the world. We can have also here as we follow along with Peter in this story, an instruction for us to take a moment to allow ourselves to ponder and to be perplexed about what is going on here. Now, we are not those, at least most of you, maybe, there could be one or two of you. I think I heard that our visitor has Jewish descendants, or not descendants, but um, those heritage before her, right? Um, And so... None of us here, most of us, have not been brought up in any kind of Jewish place, but Peter was a Jew, and he would have been taught very clearly to stay away from certain foods. 
Because there was a teaching moment and a proclamation about the Lord's holiness in that very law to his people, the Jewish nation. And just as Peter was proclaiming to them that that law also taught them not to just to refrain and to stay away from certain foods, but to stay away from certain people. That God was displaying before the world his holiness by consecrating a certain people. Ironically enough, a very unholy people. (laughs) But he would make them holy. He would consecrate them and make them separate. He gave them multitude of laws to make this declaration before the world. And Peter knew these laws and abided by these laws, as he has said in the previous text, that he had never touched or tasted these foods. And here he is in the house of a tanner where there are dead animals around, and he has this vision. And it's not just a proclamation of how God is now spreading his gospel out to all nations, but he's showing the power of God in cleansing the unclean, which ironically enough also includes the Jews. Because their hearts need the cleansing. Their hearts need the circumcision of God. They need to be rent of heart just as well as the Gentiles, but God decided to proclaim that by picking a particular people. And so Peter is pondering this. It's interesting. It's given it to us twice that as he is perplexed about what he had just seen in the instruction that he was given from God, there is this other part of the narrative happening. These men are coming by the instruction of Cornelius, which is obeying the instruction of an angel of God. And you see Peter again pondering as they are calling out. It wasn't something that he just kind of go, okay, I get it. I got it. I'm down with that. (laughs) But he was pondering it, and and he was listening to God even speak to him about what was about to occur. And as this is occurring, that he is being invited to go to Caesarea, a pagan town, to go into the home of a Gentile He was seeing it come together, what God was doing. That it was clear that it was no longer a time where God wanted his people to be separate from other nations. He's already seen this trajectory occur in the previous chapters of what God is doing in the church. He's also likely remembering the very proclamations of both the Old Testament In the very words of Jesus Christ, of how he would pour out his spirit upon all nations. This has always been the promise to Abraham that he would make a multitude of nations from Abraham. That he would make a people from a multitude of nations. And there was always this tension, how can there be multiple nations when it's one nation that's been set aside? So he's been perplexed. And we may go into this passage today, and I would anticipate that some of you would be perplexed by what I'm about to say as I preach to you from this passage. And I think we should allow ourselves the time to ponder, to let this soak in, just as Peter did, so that we can carefully trust 
enact off of what God's word says and not just our immediate inclination to what we would anticipate, as Peter did, saying, by no means shall I eat from this table. May it be that we would not reject God's proclamation, but that we, we would believe and that we would follow in the transition, transition by the meditation on his word, that we would trust in obedience to believe the things that God wants us to believe in this passage. There are twice, there is twice a question. Again, I think this repetition means something. Peter asked the two men, why, or the three men rather, why have you sent for me? And he asked Cornelius the same question, why? Or the people who are there, why are, are you, why are we together now? And as you come here today, why are you here? Why have you come? What in your life has brought you to this place? We see Cornelius giving a testimony, and we see these men giving a testimony of what had happened to lead them to Peter, and they ultimately conclude one answer that, one, we are obeying God to do what he told us to do, and we are here to hear the things the Lord has commanded. I'm not going to ask you in a show of hands, but how many people came here to hear what I had to say today and my opinion about things? I hope none of you did. But you're here to hear what the Lord has said, or at least you should be. And you should be here not because you like me or other people who are here in of itself, that those are good reasons to be drawn to this body, but you should be coming here because you are obeying God's command. There should be a testimony that as you would explain to people, if you were giving a long road or a long story of why you are here today, there would be a testimony of how God has entered into your life or how you have recognized God being already in your life, and how you have been drawn to be in obedience to his calling, and how you are in obedience to be before his word. That is what is ultimately being repeated here, that these who are in a place of sanctification and growth and understanding, those who are not yet baptized in the beginning of the narrative, and those who even have some misunderstandings of how to worship. We have Cornelius here bowing down to Peter. Now granted, you have to keep in mind, he met with an angel of the Lord. Just as we have in the story of the Philippian jailer, they, he bowed down quickly to Paul too. It gets crazy when you see an angel. It's kind of hard to know what to do when you see something of that great might. We're not quick to fault, but we see that there's already discipleship occurring as Peter raises his up and reminds him, I too am a man. And then he talks with them, surely explaining to him, I am a, an apostle, a messenger, being appointed to God to point you back to him. I'm actually a pointer to the one you should be bowing down to. I am not the one. And then they remind him again that he is there, that they are there to hear him preach. 
to hear what has been commanded by God. So I want you to remember four things that we see in this passage of the answer to the question of why, and the answer is to hear, but to hear what? One, they are here to hear the command of God. They want to know the commandments of God. They already have been hearing the commandments of God. Peter insinuates that you already know some of these things. You know about the Old Testament laws of separation, and you know about the things that occurred with Jesus, as you already know and heard about these things. But they came to hear more. You already know about many things of the Lord, but you want to come and you want to grow in the Lord. So they hear to hear the law and command of God. They are also here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter says that as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. He is here to preach to them the good news. I am here to preach to you the good news of Jesus Christ. You are here to be reminded, as we've already been reminding each other from the very beginning of our worship, of the good news of Jesus Christ. You're also here to hear the testimonies of God's people. We talked last week during our congregational meeting how it would be good to have a time and place where we can hear the stories of how God has led us to himself. As we meet new people or have conversations with people, we get to tell different testimonies of what the Lord is doing. And maybe should we, and may it be that we would be encouraged to let our conversations gravitate toward that, that we would give people indications of the Lord's work by telling them what the Lord has been doing in our lives this past week or in our full past life. I think I shared with you on different occasions how a friend of mine years ago one time just asked me in our regular fellowship, he just simply said, what has the Lord been showing you of late? Or what has the Lord been teaching you of late? And it really threw me off. I had no idea what to say. Because my mind and my focus at that time had not been upon the things of the Lord and I was more interested in talking about the weather or politics or sports. But do we dwell upon and think about and do we testify before the Lord and before each other His goodness and His grace? Even in each day of the week, throughout the week. They were there to hear the commandments. They were there to hear the gospel of grace and the forgiveness of our breaking those commandments They were there to hear the testimony of the power of God in the life of his people. And they were there to hear the Holy Spirit move and act. They were hearing the Holy Spirit in the speaking of tongues, in the proclamation of what God desires in this mysterious gift to the church, which made things that were mysterious more clear. By pointing to the power of God in his Holy Spirit. That is what we ultimately long for when we come here. We can hear each other talk. We can hear me preach. We can hear me give both command and gospel. In the stories after stories of God's workings. But unless we hear 
the Holy Spirit, those things are not alive in us. We are not cut to the heart. We are not changed or transformed. May it be that you would think about your testimony more. Shape your testimony. Here, these people had the opportunity to practice it. As Peter kept asking, why are you here? Why have you sent me? Why are we together? What's the point of all this? Be ready. In season and out of season to be able to tell people why you believe what you believe. Maybe go home today or this week and just write out a simple testimony of how the Lord has brought you to know him and to walk with him. Practice it. Repeat it. Tell your children. Tell your neighbors. Tell your loved ones, your close relatives and close friends. Maybe just surprise them out of the blue. Find people in your life. There's likely many of them that have never heard how you've come to know the Lord as you do. Here is a great opportunity not to display what you have done, but what the Lord has done. Be careful in the temptation, as it is often the case when people give testimonies, to put yourself on a pedestal. But to remember what the Lord has done in your weakness and in your need of salvation. One of the things I want to highlight in this passage is not this simplicity breakdown of something that we can see here in these questions and the response that they are there to hear. But I want you to see a tension. There's a tension here that is what caused the circumcised believers to be amazed when the Holy Spirit poured out upon these God-fearing Gentiles. Now, in our common vernacular, when we say God-fearing, it's a very common thing. We might say, oh, he was a God-fearing man, or my mother was a God-fearing woman, because it's a description of their faith or their trusting in the Lord. But in here, in this particular passage, when it says that Cornelius was a God-fearer, as I mentioned last week, this is a description of a particular group of people who were in this unusual tension because they knew of the Jews and they had observed the Jews and they have come to respect and desire to know the God of the Jews. And they have been hearing about the gospel, but they did not go the way fully of the Jews because they were uncircumcised. And so they were in this weird conundrum. They were drawn to God. They're getting to know more about who he is, but they hadn't really merged in with the Jews, and they have not yet fully merged in with the Christians. They were being drawn. They were seeking out the Lord by the power of God, and that is why they were called God-fearers, because they had a fear of the Lord. They had an honor and respect of the Lord, but they couldn't be called Jews because they weren't circumcised, and they couldn't be called Christians because they were not yet baptized. What is being portrayed here along with these other elements, one of the table full of what used to be unclean food and has been made clean, and now this command to go to people who were once unclean and 
now are claimed by the power of God, there's another lesson being taught to us here. The circumcised Christians that were circumcised into Judaism and then converted over into Christianity, they were trusting in God's promise from the Old Testament, from their word of God and our word of God to this day in Deuteronomy chapter 30, that it says the Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. And so when God made covenant with Abraham, he told Abraham to circumcise all of the males in the home, his children and his slaves, all that were under his particular care. And that circumcision was teaching at least two primary things. There are other elements of that display that it was teaching. But one, the circumcision is highlighting the separation that these people would have by being his people. The separation of the skin is a separation of, from God's people from what is unholy. And then here, as it's proclaimed in Deuteronomy, that circumcision mark of the covenant was teaching a spiritual proclamation of what the Spirit is going to do in the heart of his people. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart. They couldn't circumcise their own hearts. They were circumcising the males in their household as a symbol and a sign and act of faith and obedience that God would circumcise their hearts and their descendants. That is why God said all of the males in your care, including the slaves, should receive this mark. My covenant mark will be upon my covenant people. And as these now going up to where we are with Peter again, these circumcised Christians who had now begun to see the fulfillment of the promises of the Messiah and now begin to see the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon his people are responding in what would be an understandable fashion We now need to have these people who have come to understand who God is, they need to get circumcised so that they can hope in this promise that their hearts would be circumcised. This is really the beginning of the tension that will go multiple chapters through this narrative that as they are pondering and perplexed what is going on here, this too is going to be a thing that the Lord is telling is now passed, just like the dietary laws. It's going to be replaced. It's going to be replaced with something else because what was considered unclean, what was considered to be unholy, is now being cleansed by the power of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what we see here now in this particular narrative is that as that tension is there and their perplexion is there, that the circumcised are going to be amazed that God is going to pour out his spirit upon the uncircumcised. 
He's going to make clean. He's going to rend the hearts of those who have not been circumcised. The promises are still the same promises, but the measure in which the promises are applied have been magnified and come to a greater fulfillment. And that new mark is the mark of baptism. Instead of taking Cornelius and his relatives and his close friends that have been brought there and placed under the proclamation of God's word, God is showing a display by pouring out the Holy Spirit upon these and Peter does not say, then why shall we not circumcise? He said, then why should we not baptize these who are before us? Brothers and sisters today, and I know that we may all be in different places of our pondering in perplexion about baptism. God has been gracious to us as a church to constitute where we walk patiently with one another. Here we have, just as Peter had to be patient with Cornelius and say, get up. I I am just a man, just like you. There is this patience that we have been granted with each other in our understanding of baptism. And some of you may be perplexed and pondering about what just happened this morning. But we see here in this passage that God has transitioned that mark in a full and wondrous way. That those promises, as he has declared in Acts chapter 2, when those who heard the preaching of the word says, what shall we do now? Peter said, repent and be baptized, you and your household. For this promise. He said, hold on. And receive the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your household. Rewind back to Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. Rewind to Genesis 17. Abraham, circumcise those in your household. Fast forward to Acts chapter 16 which we'll get to in a few weeks, just a preview. It says, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, this is the Philippian jailer to Paul and the disciples. Sirs, what must we do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour that night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Brothers and sisters, we are not believing that. This baptism, whether you are 55 years old and you've come to the Lord in repentance and faith, or whether you're a part of a household of the 55-year-old who has come to believe in repentance and faith, Water does not do anything. We are obeying the Lord to do the things that we see in His Word to proclaim that Jesus has made clean the unclean. 
We're holding on to the same hope that God will circumcise our hearts, that he will wash our hearts clean from our defilement of rebellion and wickedness. Paul says in Romans, that is why it depends on faith. We come in faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. The miraculous power of this Jesus who they killed on a tree and who God raised from the dead is that by doing that, he gives life to the dead hearts of both the Jews and the Gentiles for all those who come to him in repentance and faith and their household. That's perplexing, brothers and sisters. That's something we have to ponder on. But that is the Lord's word. And the testimony of Peter was that when he rose from the dead, he said to those who heard, and he he ate and he drank with us. Jesus is alive. Jesus has cleansed those who are his. And he's with us. He eats with us. That's why we are here today, is to hear that promise repeated. To hear the words of Jesus when he stood before them, before his cross, and he broke the bread, and he poured the wine. To show us what not only had to be done, but what would be us done in him by being brought to the table with him. Those who are unclean and now clean. Let us pray.